Well, I've been kidnapped by my publisher for the week. Uh, he's not going to let me go until I give him the next book. A week of no distractions, then. Maybe one or two. I've sent the caretaker away so we won't be disturbed. Hey, it's me. I can't wait to see you. How long is she staying? A couple of days. I don't know if that's good. <laughs> Seriously? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's the beginning of something. Well, come on, don't hold us in suspense. I can see potential. Really? You know, two women, a dark secret away for the week. God, can we have some fun now? Look at you. You're already under a spell. Gotta be careful, snakes. Those two girls. There's a place down by the lake, down by So did she tell you about us? No. Perfect. There's a place down by the lake. It's not finished, you know. Of course it's not. What are you saying? She said it was an accident. You said it was an accident. She avoided the question. You say she didn't write the book. It's not true. She's jealous of me. I mean, she's good, but she's not as good as me. This is what happens when you make up stories. Now you know the end. I hope you're not disappointed. That's the trailer for director Myrie Cameron's feature film debut, The Second. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. In this episode, I'm joined by Myrie and the second screenwriter, Stephen Lance, to discuss their seductive, well-laid, complex thriller which stars Rachel Blake, Susie Porter, Vince Glossimo and Martin Sachs. I'll also add that this cast of Aussie acting veterans have never been better than they are in the second. The second follows the writer, played by Rachel Blake, whose newfound success is threatened when her best friend, the Muse, reveals the truth behind the memoir's provenance, saying anything more would be giving too much away. The second is in Australian cinemas from July 5, and it will be released exclusively on Stan at the same time. Uh, This is a must-see, and I urge everyone to check it out. Anyway, enjoy. He does have a conscience in some way, but he's kind of like a uh, just a, a madman who can out-drink, out-last, out-fun everyone all the time. Luke's interpretation of that was uh, probably more extreme than what I had written on the page or envisaged myself. The day that we were going out to shoot the open water scenes, we were told that there were some dead whale carcasses that were bringing in real tiger sharks and great white sharks, and they'd been sighted in the area. We were told not to go in the water. But I could just see instantly that how talented Rhiannon was, and there was just, it really blew me away. 
is still a bit of a, a boys club out there for sure. And also with Dee Wallace, she gave me great input on the script for this to make her have a very pro-choice stance throughout the film. And the simple fact is, the movie, the whole thing occurs because a right-wing guy blows up a clinic. Very organically, somehow, the name The Comet Kids popped up. And we sort of just kind of based the movie around that name. Like, it happened really quickly. We kind of thought, like, that's a really great name for a movie. Like, what is, what, who are The Comet Kids? We just thought it was very, very important to uh, start writing more roles for women and uh, women not just, as I said, as girlfriends, mothers and people in love, but women who are their own people as we are. <laughs> Myra and Stephen, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you both. Pleasure. Thank it's you for having us. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> uh, Myra, because of the mechanics of the Australian film industry, a large percentage of feature films released locally are from first-time directors. Uh, the second is one of many feature films released over the last few years, which I've enjoyed so much that I'm still telling people about it weeks later. Uh, so mm. I wanted to start off by saying congratulations to yourself and uh, the whole team for creating such an enjoyable piece of Australian cinema. Thank you. I mean, it's it's been a very enjoyable process, the, the whole film. Of course, not without its challenges along the way, but, um, you know, it's been a long time coming for me, I suppose. I've been – I went to uh, the National AFTRS about 15 years ago. So um, – and there's been a lot of sort of, you know, distractions along – not distractions, but getting into education and just working out how to make money out of this, you know, my skills and knowledge – um, but, you know, there's, there's been a burning passion that's been sitting there the whole time. And, yeah, to, to finally make a first film is, is really affirming and I've had a brilliant time. Worked with fabulous people on this film. That's, that's, that's been really sort of key to it as well. <clears throat> and, you know, the gift of, of Stephen's script, which I read and just thought, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is a story I want to tell. Um, Stephen, as the screenwriter, can I get you to give our listeners a rundown of, of what the second is about? Well, it is about an author who steals her best friend's life and publishes it as her own and then comes to write her second novel and discovers that she has a problem she has writer's block and she needs her best friend and this creative process unravels over a week at a uh, isolated property that involves not only the writer and her best friend but also the publisher and so what happens this triangle comes together this ensemble triangle and eventually the truth rips it apart Mm. It's such a great story. And for some of our listeners out there, if that sounds a little bit cryptic, it's because the whole thing is full of, uh, full of twists and turns and uh, we can't give too much away. I was treading very carefully. <laughs> um, Myra, it's, uh, it's been a long time between drinks for you. Uh, your last short film was in 2011. Did it feel good to be in the director's chair on, on your first feature film? 
Oh, yes, it felt brilliant. And it is, I mean, that's the funny thing about directing. You know, we do have a long time between drinks. Mm. So you can feel, you can very much feel on those first few days like uh, a complete beginner. But it is, it's interesting, it, you know, it's the riding a bicycle thing. You get back on and, you know, you realise that, you know, there's a reason that you've loved this and pursued storytelling, visual storytelling, you've pursued it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it was fabulous. Uh, you were an associate producer on Stephen's first film, My Mistress. Uh, how did your role as director come about on the second? Well, I suppose this is a project, you know, because I did train as a director and, it, you know, it is, it is um, my passion. Um, this is a story that <clears throat> has been in development for many, many years and um, it kind of went away, as they do, you know, ideas come and go, but this one this one stayed there. I, there's, there was a lot I really loved about it but sort of in, in, you know, it had never really developed to the point of being being anything that was ready to make. Um, we, we put it away and, and when Screen Queensland announced the, the fully funded um, Stan Screen Queensland initiative, they wanted million-dollar ideas and this one just sort of leapt out as, as, as one of the strong possibilities. So, um, and Stephen had sort of been aware of the idea because we've worked together for a long time. We should time. probably say that we've known each other for 25 years. Yes, we, right? went, we did our undergraduate should, film yeah. degrees together. So, you know, we're sort of, you know, we're in each other's heads with our various projects and have a lot of projects together. But Stephen, you know, Stephen had been developing not only as a director but as, as a writer. So he co-wrote My Mistress and I think really realised that, that he had strengths as a writer as well. So when we pitched to Screen Queensland, we pitched as a team, a writer-director mm. team. And um, I think this project, like all creative projects, they have this gestation period and they can have a tortured history, you know, of just trying to make it work in the particular time space and... It is about timing, and the mm. timing was right for this for the second to come out of the draw. Yeah, because and it was of the completely initiative. reinvented as well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a set of characters in a location, and with a couple, you know, some some key conflicts and dilemmas that you know Stephen started from the ground up and and really wrote something completely different from from the original vision, yeah. which was exciting. It was an exciting reinvention of the idea. You mentioned Stan uh, there. Uh, are you? Is it a relief to know that the film's going to be uh, released via Stan and that it's that it's actually you know guaranteed to get this screening? I'm super excited about it. But Stephen, yeah. as, as co-producer, do you want to talk? About well, it? I think it's a really exciting hybrid model of distribution, which the you know independent film scene in Australia needs a kind of radical injection of uh, uh, some type of new distri distribution model. So to have this support from Stan so we know that there's this platform and we know that they're going to put um, a, a decent whack of money into PR and so we know there's that kind of reach in the media that they're going to have to audiences but also to work kind of symbiotically with the cinema release. And there's this great relationship and partnership that's going on between Mind Blowing World and Stan at the moment as we work out this kind of hybrid distribution and release model. And everyone is so excited about that to see um, how it bears fruit. So, yeah, it's super exciting. I've got a feeling the model is going to be very successful and uh, I think we should be seeing more of it now and in the future. 
great. Me too. Um, Myri, the the second is it's deep and uh, it's well layered and often complex. Uh, Were you immediately up for this challenge or did it take some convincing for you to to jump on board as, as director? Oh, no, I love it. What I loved about the script was the layers. Mm. You know, that to me is what excites me as a director. Of course, I love a good genre film as well. I love a good psychological thriller, you know, and grew up sort of right through the 80s, 90s, watching Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction and those kind of films and loving them. I mean, I've also loved French cinema and art house cinema, but, you know, that, that there's there's a real passion for the psychological thriller. But the, the part of it that excites me is the psychological. Mm. So, and that, that's what I felt this, this script had um, the 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 layers are peeled away as we move through the story you know to to reveal the truth of these characters mostly the two women but actually all the characters in the film have got layers um, but I suppose you know the twist the twist film was something that that you know, we weren't. We talked about that. Does it need this to make it work? And we 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 embraced it, thinking that well, actually, it's a really fun, you know, audience-friendly kind of you know mm. choice to make. Mm. And and why not? And what what it gives me as a director, as well as you know, digging into that character psychology, is that opportunity to always be playing or you know, you know, moving between two levels. Mm. What are we watching? So to me, that can that inspires visuals, that inspires mm. performance choices, that, you know, that, yeah, that, that, that make it really interesting. So I suppose the answer is yes, I was ready I and the, excited. Right? One of the things we agreed on uh, at the beginning of the process uh, before we approached Screen Queensland was that we wanted to make a Hall of Mirrors type of film. Mm-hmm. We wanted to create a film that kept twisting and turning on its head right into the end. And Mari mentioned a couple of films, you know, like Basic Instinct, but, you know, I mean, those films in Chabrol, we love the kind of the, the moody, hypnotic thrillers of Chabrol. And, and you know, I love Nicholas Ray. So In a Lonely Place is a, is a, is a big reference, but even stuff like um, Usual Suspects. We just... Swimming pool. Swimming pool. I mean, and Persona is a big influence as well, mm. which is, you know, more of a sort of, I suppose, cinematic sort of poetry, you know, much more experimental than what we're doing, but still that mystery and you don't quite know what it is you're watching. Mm. So that was, you know, they're all the inspirations and, and um, yeah. Uh, Stephen, the film feels like it's very much set in the same world as My Mistress. Uh, would you agree? Well, funnily enough, I do agree. I mean, look, I, knew, I, thought, I thought you'd ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I, it. I don't know why that is. No, I was but... trying to search for an answer because I thought you'd ask this question. And, you know, there's some kind of some interesting shots that are almost very similar, you know, looking out of windows down to pools. And, yeah. and um, look, I think that the great gift of Jimba House was that it felt right for the story. Mm. And um, beside all the kind of production um, access that we had and the sort of the, the, the sort of production value brought to the screen, it was right for the story. So I come back to kind of the creation of the story and the creation of Mistress and then the creation of the second, I think, well, of course, they're a bit similar because mm. there, there's my taste in it. But then I also know Myrie's taste 
and we have this kind of great creative harmony. So, of course, she's going to kind of embrace certain mistressy elements that are going to be in there stylistically. So yeah. I just think, of course, it's in the family. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's part of the DNA, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned that pool, actually, and uh, while I was watching it, uh, I kept imagining that this was the same pool as the one from my mistress and it had been transported to this uh, new isolated world of the second. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Probably emptied it. Yeah, yeah. That's right. We did empty the pool. We, we, we were like, it. yeah. Yeah, we no. like, you've got to get the water out of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know, the pool. It wasn't in the first draft of the script. I mean, we, de- we deliberately didn't write a pool in. Um, yeah. We added it when we found that stunning location with that stunning pool how could i yeah, not a lot of the, how could i not yeah. film that pool yeah, put kids down by the mm. pools like oh, i just need that shot in the film it's yeah. incredible um so we we yeah that was the sort of second draft or what that was a once we found the location but i think the film also has a kind of hypnotic spell-like quality where you're not quite sure you know what's what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. what's working on, 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 on which kind of level of reality or, yeah. you know, so that definitely that Hall of Mirrors. And I think, you know, reflections play a great part in Myri's direction, you know, in reflections in glass and in, in mirrors. And I was looking for similar things in Mistress. So yeah. that Hall of yeah. Mirrors, yeah. there's a kind of, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. And that, Probably Stephen and Myrie. Yeah. Sort of, uh, yeah. We get excited yeah. by reflection. <laughs> <laughs> um, so many contemporary Australian films come across as, as being very personal and semi-autobiographical, and, and we know My Mistress was for you, Stephen. Uh, but with the second, uh, it feels like it's written purely for the enjoyment of a wide audience. Uh, was that always the intention? Look, I think that's true on one level, but I also... You know, I, I think what has, you know, why this project is perhaps quite close to my heart and, uh, you know, the the inspiration is the female friendships in my life back from when I was a teenager. Um, it felt, you know, there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a connection there for me with the subject matter and that's, I suppose, why that project never really went away. Um there's a, a quote from Julie Bunton, who's a novelist who wrote a novel called Marlena about teenage friendship between two women. She says, for so many women, the process of becoming takes two. And I suppose that's, I feel, when I found that quote, I thought, yeah, that's it. Between these two women in this film, um, they become who they are um, because of this shared incident in the past and because of the intensity of that female friendship mm-hmm. where you're sort of competing, you're sort of a mirror for each other, you're, um, you're, you're discovering who you are by bouncing off the other. And, um, yeah, I suppose I've lived, I've lived through some of those friendships and they're very important, um, important mm-hmm. in the development, in your development as a woman. So, yeah. That's the personal connection. Yeah, but yes, in a way, it's like no, it's it's not telling my story. No. Mm. Yeah. Uh, tell us a bit about these two uh, main characters, played uh, by Susie Porter and Rachel Blake. Yeah. So I think I mean the the, the, well, the casting of those two characters, or the characters themselves. The characters themselves, and and uh, and a bit about their development. 
So complete opposites was always, you know, in nature. And I suppose as teenagers, you know, there's that idea of who is living in the shadow of the other, you know, and one has sort of blossomed earlier sexually. Um, she's the more vivacious. She's gotten the attention of the father, you know, in a slightly not cool way. Um so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of competitiveness between the two. The the young writer um, is is you know in a way like living through her friend, which which interestingly sort of mirrors as well the current day, and that she needs this woman to feed her storytelling. She needs the inspiration of that. Um, so yeah, I mean completely different natures. One is is the observer, the audience. Uh, the other is the the performer in, in embracing life and get, getting into trouble. Um, but I suppose what's similar about both women is that, that I think of them as survivors in a way of of very different things. One, the young writer of neglect from her father, um, the muse, the best friend of you know actual sexual abuse. Um, which is talked about in a number of contexts in the film and rape. So, you know, if you look at it on a more serious note, um, the, the two women are, are both survivors and um, survivors who, you know, one thing I love about, about the this, this script is that they're kind of um, uh, not necessarily acting in the way we might like to see survivors behave. They're, they're, they're both refusing that kind of their, their victimhood. Mm. So they're kind of scandalous women who, and I like that. I like the messiness. I like that, that, that they don't, um, yeah, they don't perform as we may want them to perform. I mean, there, there may, you know, there may be some criticism about these two women because of that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm interested in that sort of messy terrain that, that between sort of victimhood and, and, and women who take charge of their own lives. Mm. Um, I'm sure the story was, you know, it was developed long before the Me Too movement. Uh, d- does the film play into the Me Too movement now? Well, I think in this way of, of, of walking, treading that line between, um, yeah, women who uh, are victims but not, but, but sort of fighting against that mm-hmm. and sometimes therefore behaving badly. So I think it, it takes some risks in that regard mm-hmm. um, in that, you know, they are sometimes lashing out at each other, sometimes lashing out at the wrong men. Mm-hmm. I mean, this happens in the film. But, yeah, I suppose that's why I talk about that sort of idea. I mean, it's actually, you know, it's actually a a, um, uh, a brand of feminism that's being talked about at the moment called scandalous feminism, and I feel like that really speaks to um, where we were coming from with, with the female characters. Mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe is talked about as a sort of scandalous feminist. She's a scandalous, you know, in that sort of vein, mm-hmm. in that she's both exploiting herself and her sexuality but also using it to empower herself. It's a fine line and it's kind of messy um, and tricky to navigate. So, And I feel like both these characters, both these characters do that ultimately driven by not wanting to be the victims that they're branded as, you know. Mm-hmm. Because of the past, because of men in their life, because of sexual abuse or assault, um, because of neglect. Mm. Yeah. Stephen, so, would you like to add anything? 
I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's a, maybe a challenging response to the Me Too movement. But obviously, you know, that's very close to my heart, mm. that, whole, that whole movement. So, mm. yeah, I very much would like to be part of that conversation. I, th- I think you're well and truly going to be when, uh, when this comes out, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- this cast of Australian uh, acting veterans are at the top of their game here. Uh, did you have Rachel, Susie, uh, Vince and Martin in mind when you were writing the script? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I absolutely had um, Rachel in mind, you know. I mean, basically, you know, I didn't know Susie or Vince before this, but, but with Rachel having worked with her on Mistress, I was looking for a very, you know, I needed someone with an ice cool temperature you know someone who had that ability both to be very glacial but underneath that was this kind of brimming violence and this brimming rage and I knew she could do that and so definitely as I was writing I had her in mind and I remember when we were starting to go out to cast I said well I can send it to Rachel and let's see if she 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 enjoys it and she did she came back and then it was really from there I know that and Mari you can talk about Susie and Vince Mm -hmm. and 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 uh, Marty yeah, well, I, I, for me as well, Rachel's been an, an actor that I've loved um, since I saw her in Lantana. And, you know, that character needed to be able to go from sort of, you know, the refined author right mm. through to kind of, you know, ruthless kind of animal mm. predator. Mm. And I knew that Rachel had the kind of capacity as an actor to take us on that journey in a, you know, believable way. So, yes, yeah, the sort of cerebral, elegant, refined with the darkness underneath. So mm. she just was, she was just a, a choice right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then once she came on board, it became building, it became about building a cast that would sit around her. Um, and they were pretty easy to convince, actually, because I think, you know, not only is the script amazing um, mm. and the characters are great, but, you know, they all really responded to, oh, wow, Rachel's in it. You know, mm. that, that meant yeah. a lot. Um, to other actors so she really transformed for the role too I mean she threw herself into it physically and mentally I mean the rigor that she went through with her body and the training so that she could be not only emotionally tough but physically she had this kind of armor Mm, absolutely yeah yeah she's gymming two times a day yeah she continued that right through the the and then Susie's the kind of the the soft vulnerable yeah well Susie's you know character is you know the the you know has to have also that capacity for danger I mean she should turn up and feel like the threat um and feel really dangerous like she could really she could really um do some damage but um we needed then to see that real vulnerability the the broken woman underneath that and I've always I've always seen both of those qualities in Susie the the layers um so she was a natural choice and I remember talking to Rachel about the idea of Susie and she was really excited (laughs) they worked together on um Mm. Wildside years ago, um, and I, I think yeah, we we really got the casting right in terms of the two women, and then Vince, you know, just I I just once I'd imagined Vince, that was it. I couldn't really see anyone. Else. It's interesting because we were talking about 
who is going to be able to stand their ground between yeah. Rachel Blake and Susie Porter yeah. and mm. not look like a mouse that's just being poured back that's and forth? That's right. Yeah, we had to feel like he had a chance. Yeah. You know, you've got yeah. these two incredibly powerful, intelligent, strong women. Yeah. You've, got to, you've got to put someone strong in the mix. And I think what's really interested to see Vince do, publisher, to do mm. sophisticated, urbane kind of guy. He's so charming. He's, mm. And we, yeah, we knew and, he's then charming. But it was, it was sort of something we hadn't really seen him do. But then he brings this sort of underlying masculinity and machismo and, and humour and humor yeah. that it really needed because they could have actually, you know, I mean, it, 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 yeah. So hopefully, people, there's, you know, there's some thrills along the way, but hopefully, it's also entertaining and, and a bit fun. You yeah. Know? And I think Vince made it a bit fun. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And yeah. So, so you know, thrilled with three of them, thrilled with all five. Of them. And the stoicism of Marty as yeah, well, like yeah. the brooding. You know, he really. It's it's not. I, I mean, it's a huge character in the story, not necessarily screen time, but to, in relationship to the yeah. story. Mm. And he needed to bring a gravitas to these moments and a depth and a stoicism. And Marty, I mean, he's just his voice. That's right. The know. voice does it, those, yeah. those stares. Yeah. You know? yeah. But he, he and I spent but, so much time on the phone. Yeah. You know, and he's only there in a few scenes when he's such a powerful presence. You know, and playing with that idea of, yeah, he is kind of, you know, mm. He is, in a way, at first, the, just the a genre threat, yeah. a genre trope. Yeah. But we had to believe, and I can't talk yeah. about the moment, mm. but we had to believe that last moment from him. Not yes. the very last moment, mm. definitely. You know what we're talking mm. about. Mm. Not doing spoilers. Yes. But we had to believe that, 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 you know, that other dimension to that character. And I know Marty did a lot of work. Um, to make that that journey believable, and mm. I think he pulls it off. I mm. think he's done a beautiful job. They all do. They all pull it off. Uh, but back to Vince for a second. I mean, he really does play against type here. Um, he's a little bit geeky, a little bit nerdy, but still a strong uh, a male character. Uh, I think it's really paid off because this is the best I've ever seen him. Wow, oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, that's fabulous. Well, he threw himself into it. He was really excited by it, really passionate about it, um, you know, and, and yeah, it it was exciting to have him on board. He brought a lot of um, good spirits and humor. I think the the interesting thing about um, his character as well, he's really the audience. Yes. Mm. The audience is really with him as we're watching these, these two women play out because we're not sure. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah. The hell is going on with these women. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and those glasses. Yeah. Some of my favourite shots of the film are Vince down by the pool. Yes. Yeah. You know. Well, Vince said he did the whole film because of those scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Me down by the pool, glass of wine and a book. Oh, wow. And the tortoiseshell glasses. <laughs> Maybe we want to go out and buy a new pair of glasses, actually, to match those. <laughs> well, actually, we had sponsorship. I mean, now it sounds like I'm doing a little ad for yeah. Optico Brisbane. But, yeah, we did. Anyway, we got fabulous glasses for all the characters. Those three actors got very excited by the idea of being able to wear sunglasses as well. It did cause a few problems to post. Yeah, a lot of, yeah, a of post problems where, and you know, reflections. And, yeah. reflections. But they all got very excited, and they're not allowed to wear sunglasses, I suppose, because of reflections. Yeah. But anyway, the glasses are, you know, really important parts of their mm. characters, actually. They so, are, they are, um, yes. Um, shout out to Mikey from Optico. 
Um, uh, Stephen, uh, Myra is about to embark on uh, this exciting journey, uh, you know, as the interview requests come in and the red carpets start to get rolled out uh, for premieres and things like that. Uh, uh, how did you find uh, that experience during the release of, of My Mistress and, uh, and what advice would you have for her? You gird your loins. <laughs> That's what I would say. I mean, look, I think it's harrowing uh, in, in any way you look at it, whether you get good reviews or bad reviews. I mean, you are so exposed and you're out there. You've made this baby and you want the baby to be loved and you want the baby to go out and is now in the public in the public domain and you feel very, very vulnerable. So I think that, you know, if you know that going in, you can possibly, you know, gird your loins a bit more. But, I mean, I think you just have to hang on tight. And I think we also, we have each other as well. We do. So. And, I mean, having watched, I feel so, you know, lucky to have seen Stephen go through it. And he's probably better at, at, at this kind of stuff than me, actually. Um, but I, I feel like I learned a lot of lessons just from watching him. You know, when you said, well, you know, you can't take, you, you've got to just take the, the good and the bad or none of it, you know, and just stay kind of a mutual yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, I, always, I think that my lesson from Mistress was to get on with the next project. That's right. Start creating yeah. something. And we have, we have our projects together and so it's sort of like it, it feels like it's not going to rise and fall on. You know, but on it is actually thing. very exciting. We talk about it's it exciting. as if it's horrifying. But it's, of course, you make films for people to see and, yeah. you know, for the most part, it's exciting. It's just really scary. It's yeah. <laughs> um, just, yeah, be open to everything and uh, and be open to all of the media as well. And be nice to us. Don't be a snob. Hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> As long as you play nice with us. So at the time of this recording, uh, the film's about to have its uh, premiere at the Gold Coast Film Festival, but by the time of publishing, it might be uh, being released on on Stan or in cinemas. Uh, If each of you could say one thing to audiences going into the film, what would it be? (laughs) Enjoy the ride. Yeah, 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 yeah. What would I say? Look out for bellbirds. <laughs> Very good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Stephen and Mari, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's an absolute thank you, pleasure. Matthew. Great thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Matthew.